Welcome to Loose Change, our regular look at what's happening in the fintech world and the people making it all happen. Uh, for today's episode, I'm joined by Tess. Tess, welcome. Thank you. Hi there. Um, Tess, before we uh, kick into the meat of it, a little bit about yourself. Could you give, tell us a little bit about where you're working and your background in uh, fintech? Of course. Yeah. So um, I am MD of Money Info. Um, we are a fintech firm that deliver client portals um, and apps for financial advisors, wealth managers and DFMs. Um, as far as me as my background, I've, I've worked in, I guess it wasn't called fintech then, but in fintech for, um, gosh, over 20 years now. That's really, I don't want to say start, that. You started loud, really. very, very young. <laughs> yeah, I'm only 29, really. Yeah. Um, so uh, originally, uh, after working in a financial advice firm, moving into first software, which um, I'm sure many of your listeners will remember, as will IRS. Of course. Um, yeah, so I worked there, worked my way up there from the, the support desk um, for just under 10 years um, before um setting up and, and joining money info again probably 10 years ago now so yeah uh, it's been a long time and you're living in what i like to call the fintech capital of great britain which is stratford upon avon truly am yeah, yeah many of us there now you know i, I think um bob yeah, from, bob from voyant uh, i one of my first podcasts was with sarah rowe she lives there um uh, clearly i live there you live there you know we're yeah. taking we're taking over the fintech world in stratford i don't know where it's all happening absolutely uh, good stuff good stuff now many of our listeners may say why are we talking uh today because some might perceive that iris uh, and money info are competitors um do you have a view on that um, I think we're friends more than competitors these days. I think you, you perhaps could have said that in the past, but I think the, you know this, the technology world has changed. All of us are a bit more open about integrating with other technology providers. And we all understand, I guess, now that, you know, our clients want choice in terms of the solutions that they might want to plug into their business. So there is room for more than one client portal in the world, uh, as there is room for more than one back office or CRM in the world, as you know. So yeah. um, I think although to some extent we, we compete, because we provide similar solutions they are you know they are differentiated between each other and we give the market choice yeah and I, and I think it, I think it's interesting isn't it because I think that's the world of partnerships that you you, you will all you're rarely yeah. going to have an absolute clean handover right there's often whatever area you're going to be in a partnership for but our, our business models are, are slightly different and um, you know we focus on uh, slightly different areas uh, you have uh, functionality that we don't we have functionality that you don't and you give your clients choice and and and, uh, and as long as the systems work together and um, you're able to give your client a great experience that's what we're both focused on isn't it making life easier for our clients Definitely, absolutely. So, world of cooperation, I think, I think thinks a good thing, um, and, and hopefully, is is here to stay. Instead, I also think it keeps everybody um, making sure that they drive um, the best out of each of their solutions, because competition generally in the world drives innovation and, and keeps things uh, going forward. So, I, I, I'm all for it. it. Does. Right now, before we go into the heart about client portal, I want to pick your brains on client portals a little bit more uh, as we go through it. Wanted mm -hmm. to do a little bit of our quick fire quiz round which uh, you, if you've listened to some of the podcasts before you'll know we have a just a few questions that we'll ask you about your personal some about your personal life and uh, some 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 maybe mm -hmm. a little bit more work uh, related <laughs> okay. um, I haven't briefed you I know so uh, don't be too no. nervous um, we're oh, going to be gentle we're going to be gentle um, <laughs> but uh, it helps people maybe know a little bit about uh, you as a as an individual and I'm going to start off because I did want 
after I saw your performance at the last uh, PFS festival wrapping, um, I did mm. want to challenge you to a wrap off on this uh, podcast, but I tried to do a wrap myself to, uh, around Iris's technology. Um, and mm -hmm. I worked out that uh, someone with a slight West Country accent should never try and wrap. So, uh, but I thought I should mention that you are one of the best rappers in the Midlands. Um, it, well, Midlands, <laughs> of all the rappers that there are in the Midlands, I am one of the best, Mark, yes, absolutely. Your best fintech of, of rapper. All the female rappers <laughs> in Stratford-upon-Avon, there's none better that, That's than very true, very true. So I wondered, we're going to start off with, who is your rap inspiration? Oh, well, Vanilla Ice, obviously, was my original inspiration um, for the PFS. I'm a big salt and pepper fan. You can see where I'm going with it. <laughs> it's, it's, um, not, it's not hardcore rap, really, is it? <laughs> not, not really. You know, Fresh Prince, a big fan of him. Um, PJ and Duncan, lovely. Uh, so, you know, I'm not kind of, you know, going down the kind of cool 50 cent kind of, you know, Snoop Dogg. It's no, it's, uh, yeah, you're, yeah, you're not Snoop Dogg. Eminem, 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 of course, maybe. But, you know, yeah. I mean, you can hear from my voice, I'm a natural rapper. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> so, so we're going to move from raps to apps now. Um, mm. We could even do a rap about an app if you wanted to, that rhymes. Um, uh, so I'm going to go to a slightly different note. What's your best app that you use on your phone day in, day out? Oh, I'm going to look at my phone and check. Um, mm, that's a great question. Well, I am a bit of a social media person. I do like my Facebook and my Twitter and my Instagram and, you know, my LinkedIn. I do use those quite regularly, some for business, some not for business. I'd rather keep my Facebook separate, if I'm honest. And what's your favourite, Insta or Facebook? Uh, Facebook, really? until my brother gets banned from Facebook, which happens on quite a regular basis, and he <laughs> makes me go on Insta because it's all about Insta at that time. But, yeah, yeah probably Facebook because I'm a bit old school and I go, I know a lot of the young, youngies now prefer Instagram, but hey-ho, you know, maybe I'm not as cool as I think I hey, am. Hey, I prefer Instagram. Does that mean I'm young? Yeah, it does. It means you're, <laughs> you know, you're down with it. You should be rapping, Mark. Yeah, really. I should be. <laughs> um, other than that, I don't know what I'm, a, well, WhatsApp, I'm quite obvious really because I use WhatsApp a lot for, for you know, conversations and groups and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, they're probably so you're the mainstream. Ones... We're establishing your rap yeah. is mainstream and your apps are right, mainstream. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm going back to your time when you were working at First Software, and for the listeners who don't know, First Software is now part of the Iris family, and uh, you probably know many, many people still working for us as a result of yep. your, your long history here. Um, what's your favourite memory of working at First Software? Oh, quarterly dues, obviously. So tell um, us we, more. We... We have quarterly dues at Money Info now. We've, we've carried on that tradition to to, uh, to the you know the gang that, that are now here. But um, t being taken out every quarter and and having some you know sometimes crazy quarterly dues, doing some sort of event and maybe having a few glasses of something, you know they um, are legendary. They were great fun, and they were you know aside from that, yes, they are legendary and they were great fun. But they were good team building, and it's why I still have so many first software friends today because you know that's what built that camaraderie and, and what a great team they had so yeah that was probably um you know it's everybody's best memory of first software i think is quarterly dues. <laughs> good stuff <laughs> um and so if i move on from uh the favorite memory to your personal inspiration generally what what inspires you each day to come into work um gosh well, Money Info is kind of my baby, I guess. So, um, and, and I have such a good team of people around me now that, you know, deliver great things. I think, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a great believer that technology is only as good as the people that stand behind it. And, uh, you know, everybody can put up a, you know, flashy piece of technology, but actually, unless you can support it well and, and deal with your clients well, it, it's kind of pointless. So I think the people I work with probably inspire me. It feels like we've kind of got the band back together a little bit here because we've got a few of the, the old um, first software lot with us as well as some, some new people. So my team, I think that sounds really cheesy, but they, you know, they do inspire me. Um, to work hard and hopefully to to try and be a good leader for them and to you know to do my job better because of the people you have around you great answer okay well we're going to move on from the quick fire to actually get into some of the stuff around the technology side now and, and i want to come back to um the client portal area because i think that's uh, an area that we both have a lot of personal interest in um mm. for you what's a client portal i mean it, it probably means different things to different people but for, for from where you're coming from, what is a client portal and what does it deliver to an IFA? That's a good question, Mark. And, and actually, it's a really good question because it has changed over the years that we've been doing this. And we've, you know, we've probably been doing this for longer than most now. But for me today, a client portal is about um, allowing advice firms, the people in the advice firms and their clients to communicate and collaborate more effectively online to support the advice and service processes that these businesses are delivering. The idea being that it delivers a better experience for the client um, and it takes away some of the admin and the operational overheads that a firm has to deal with, particularly around communications, to allow that advice firm to really focus on the things that the client values. And, and that's the conversations that they're having with the advisor and the advice that they're being given. Um, so that's really what a portal is all about. And I think the communication aspect of it is really has come to the forefront over recent times. Perhaps originally client portals were more about reporting information to clients, typically valuations um, for clients. Um, and that, I guess, is more of a hygiene factor today because it's actually all about how how an advice firm uses digital technology to communicate with their clients more effectively and perhaps importantly more securely. And do you have any really good examples of uh, clients doing that, uh, adopting it, uh, any sort of um, case studies or um, of, of the type of thing that their exchange, documents are exchanging or the type of communication yeah, they're having? Yeah. Lot, lots really and and for us it's about you know understanding with the businesses that we work with one of the first things we, we understand is you know what what is your what are your touch points with your clients how are you communication communicating with them when I'm a client of yours what do you deliver me what what happens what interactions do I have with you and when do they occur and then it's building the portal as much as you can into into those interactions so we have you know we have clients that are using it for onboarding processes we have firms that are using it for client review simple things sending out client review packs um, getting id verification documents uploaded through through the portal uh, quarterly reporting you know streamlining that automating those processes ad hoc communications basically anything that firms traditionally have sent out on paper or via email can go through a client portal. Um, and, and, and it's great, isn't it? Because we sometimes focus when we're talking about fintech on onboarding clients and technology that's helping there. But actually where a huge amount of our, uh, it's probably the same for yourselves, but there's certainly a huge amount of our client base is, is actually retaining their existing clients through great service um, yeah. uh, and, and having an efficient review process that doesn't inflate their costs but gives client value so that they are quite happy to continue to pay their fees. Uh, and, and, you know, the technology you're describing here is getting right to the heart of that ongoing service, isn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And it, and it is about making it easy and convenient. And, you know, you, you'll hear people say, oh, my, my clients might not use that. They're all of an older generation. It's not what we're seeing happening at all. No, all of you know, and you'll see this on your own your own portal because we deal with financial advice firms and wealth managers whose typical client is probably a high net worth individual whose age demographic is probably, you know, between the ages of 50 and 75. You know, so that's that's a large part of the users of a, of a portal and they are using it because, you know, like me, like my dad, we've all got smartphones, we're all using apps. Why wouldn't we use, you know, apps to communicate with our, our financial advisor just as we would any of anything else really? And I completely agree about the age thing. Uh, I, we did some research and we saw the stat that um, actually it was more about money and wealth than age that gave you the propensity to do things online. So there was a bigger differential between us, um, someone earning 60,000 and someone earning 20,000 in terms of their appetite to do things online, where, you know, where, where obviously the person earning 60,000 was much more likely to do it than someone age 60 to age 20, uh, even yeah. actually above the age of 60. There was, there was very little drop-off in the propensity to use technology by age. It was actually by wealth that that um, yeah. income uh, that affected that dynamic. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, I think the immediate and, and I think that's lessening now. I think I think there is a realisation amongst the um, advisor community, amongst advice firms that, you know, advisors themselves are using smartphones, they're using apps, they're using, you know, all sorts of technology for their own lives. And I think that that realisation has hit now that actually, yeah, you, your clients are using this kind of stuff. You know, my dad uses WhatsApp, he uses Facebook. I talk about him all the time because he's a great example. He's, you know, 72 years old. And he's never had a desktop computer. He's never had a laptop. And he's gone straight to a tablet and, and smartphone um, in his late 60s. So, you know, this is this is what happens. Um, and the technology the designed for that now, isn't it? That's why we've got iPhones and iPads and yeah. you know, really easy stuff to, to, to use. I mean, sometimes they're easier than using your TV and working out what you're doing with your TV is. <laughs> Getting online has just been made so exactly. easy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Yeah. So when, when we're looking at it from uh, an IFA's point of view, what are the business benefits you're seeing? Are you seeing the hard cash? I mean, you've talked about some of the sort of process benefits, but are you seeing that actually converting to business benefits you can put money against? Yeah, we, we've got a firm that we did a case study with that, that went paperless through Money Info, put all of their communications through the portal. It took 35% of the cost out of their business. Um, so that's the kind of, you know, and these are things that I think advice firms don't always think about, you know, they think about the cost of regulation, they think about the cost of fees and levies and the things that, you know, you, you almost, there's, there's not a lot you can do about them. You, you kind of, you know, you have to pay to play. You, you, you've got to, you know, sort those things out, but there are costs within a business that, you know, perhaps aren't focused on so much that you really can do something about when you start to use technology to drive operational efficiencies through that business. And you'll know that's not just client portal, that's also practice management, CRM systems, back offices, however you want to turn them. So yep. I think we're seeing that across a lot of our firms, um, all of those that are driving their communications through the portal, they're using document sharing, secure messaging, all of them are realizing uh, efficiency and cost benefits through doing that. And also, gaining great adoption because 
you know, clients will log in. You do have to communicate a client portal, but the minute you start delivering communications through it and your client gets a push notification on your app, your advice firm's app, then they're, they're logging in to, to, you know, to deal with that. Um, so and it deepens that relationship as a result, doesn't it? You get this quite, uh, without being too horribly commercial about it for them, it, it's quite sticky, isn't it? The client's less likely to leave you if they're actually getting everything on a, on a as-needs basis on the, on, the pla- on the platform you're providing them. I think you're right. It is. But I think, you know, to be honest, the reason part of the reason we get good adoption is because advice firms do have great relationships with their clients. True. You know, their clients do trust them. And I, I would suspect of a lot, a lot of advice firms say they don't lose that many clients. But the other benefit, of course, that they're seeing is that where they're linking in the next generation of clients. So, you know, uh, you know, their client has older children at university and, you know, they're based down in Surrey and kids are up in Edinburgh. They're not necessarily by default going to use dad's advisor when things happen or they inherit and they they need to to deal with that because they have no relationship. But where they're connecting those, you know, those kids into the service and perhaps giving them access to just the pieces of functionality that might be useful to them typically things like the banking aggregation the open banking stuff where they can manage their everyday finances then they're building a relationship with that client for the future who is going to inherit inherit mom and dad's wealth at some point um, and that's another benefit that we're seeing at advice firms and now you know you know tuning into um, so i do think yes it makes relationships more sticky but i think I do think advice firms have good relationships with their clients in any event, but that helps drive that adoption. I do like that angle that you're you're talking about there in terms of the uh, relationship with the wider family members, though, because yeah. um, I can't remember the stats. I mean, you can remind me, we were both at a conference when they were being mentioned, where the amount of advisors that lose the client on the uh, when the client de- uh, dies at the partner or the siblings no longer keep yeah, I, think, the, the I can't remember. I mean I shouldn't quote an exact number because I can't remember I think it was it was 65 or 67 percent of of inheritees will sack the previous advisor exactly something, something like that it, it was a high statistic um so yeah it is it's a really interesting one and and actually not difficult to do you yep. know it, through through the technology so and that's yeah. the brilliant thing it's scalable isn't it this is a scalable way of communicating to people it is um, it is. So, so if we're in violent agreement that client portals are a, a, a great tool for uh, advisors to use, have you got any do's and don'ts uh, other than um, uh, buying the, the, the right portal? Um, <laughs> <laughs> have you got any do's or don'ts in terms of um, uh, you know making this work for a practice? Um, yeah, I think in terms of, you know, the key thing that, that we've learned along the journey, and we've worked with lots of firms on this, and, you know, we share all sorts of best practice with our, with our firms, but the, the keys to getting good adoption, because you're only going to get a re- return on your investment in technology if people use it, whether yeah. that's your internal people or your, your external clients. And the, the key to, to adoption of any technology is, is first and foremost, I guess, communication. So you can't just throw a login out to a client and expect them to start logging in and and using it. You've got to communicate around that. And if your portal can help to automate and deliver that launch communications as part of it, then then brilliant. But, you know, the the key to it really is to build it into your advice and services that you're delivering, not make it a, oh, we've got a portal over here you can use. It has to be a part of your everyday business. Yes, the way you do business now, isn't it? You you make it part of your proposition. 
Exactly. It's not replacing, you know, um, advisors. It is complementing what they do. It is helping administrators and paraplanners and advisors do business. And it's building it into to those everyday processes. And if you do that from the moment you engage with that client, uh, particularly, I know yeah. sometimes we're putting this in, uh, well, a lot of the time it's for existing clients, but for new business, the moment you start onboarding a new client, the portal's involved in that process, the documents exactly. are shared by that process, then it's going to become second nature for them, isn't it? Uh, and and it and just simply looking at what you're emailing your clients right now and pushing that through your portal instead, it's an easy way to start really getting a return on, on that investment. Or what you're printing out and mailing in the post. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people I talk to are saving printing costs hand over, yeah. uh, hand over fist. And also that solves a problem for clients because they don't want reams of paper. That, you know, If it comes through the post, I say this a lot, it stacks up on the sideboard, they put it to one side and think, I'll have a look at that over the weekend. They never get to it. It's never where they need it. You know, they can't find it when they need it. You're giving them a problem because they've got to file it somewhere. Whereas if you're delivering it to the portal, you're filing it away in the right place in that portal so they know where it is. They can log in on their smartphone and access it whenever they need it in the moment that matters to them. Then you're you're effectively you know providing a bit of a concierge service for your clients, and you're getting them financially organised and getting all their paperwork sorted for. And them. in so in, in this sustainable world that we're trying to drive everyone to, saving yeah. saving printing and paper has got to be a good thing. Is the ink is so expensive as well? It's one someone said it's more expensive than oil. Um, you know, it, it's like you know the cost case and the environmental case is huge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so if we, uh, what about some don'ts then? You were talking about some do's there. Is there any lessons, that, things that you wouldn't do that um, that you've seen done badly or you've heard of, uh, clearly or none of your clients will have done something badly, but you've heard something uh-huh. from uh, one of your competitors, not ourselves, but um, one of your competitors oh, do, oh. doing badly? Um, I don't... I don't know. I don't know that that I have heard of anything. You know, I mean, the, the bad stuff is when it just doesn't get used. You know, and yeah. you, you know, not wanting to to speak out of turn, but you, this is why you see platform logins don't get used by clients. They they just don't. A because, and I guess the reason for that is it's not engaging enough because it doesn't cover everything that a client has. It doesn't give them a, a total view of their their wealth. It's not under the brand of the advisor typically, and it's the advice firm that the client trusts. So branding's really important, um, and you know the communication is not you know not what you should be delivering in terms of you know getting clients to log in and you know. But actually, I think there's also got to be a realization that for something to be useful to someone is probably quite personal to them as well. So. You know, for client A, they might just want to log in once every couple of months just to keep a track on things and have a check or, you know, to deal with some some documentation or a process with their advisor. For client B, and we get this, they're logging in every day because they might be time rich and they're interested in their finances and they're, you know, they're finding it really interesting logging. Both of those clients are seeing as much value for them because it's delivering what, what they need in their lives. So I think... You know, you want to get good adoption, but counting logins is not not the only proof of, of great adoption. You know, the, the it's value, big, isn't it? It's what value you're getting, giving the client. And and you know how it's you know delivering the advice firm efficiencies really. Um, so I think you know you need to be careful about what you measure and what it's actually telling you because. If your clients are valuing it for what they need and then you know that moment that matters happens, whether it's you know. Um, 
they need to access their in case of emergency details because there's been a bereavement or they've got their insurances on there and they have a bump in the car or they get broken into as I did your advisors app is there for them to log into and get that information you've captured them because you've helped them in a moment that matters yeah so and that's what that's when you're a real friend isn't it it's the same with, you know it. yeah you that's want it. to build that relationship you do. And that's why advisors are in such a strong position now. We, we've talked about this recently to, to kind of capitalize on that because advisors hold all the cards at the moment in terms of aggregating data from lots of different sources. You know, we've got open banking and screen scraping that goes alongside that, which, you know, brings us a, a good good breadth of data. The FCA obviously have got consultation out at the moment on open finance as an initiative, but that's a good few years away. Yep. And actually advisors through the agencies that they have and can control of those agencies in terms of being able to get data from platforms and providers are in a real strong position because they are the only only you know party that can really give that client an aggregated view of all of their finances across their longer term savings um, and their everyday finances so advice firms are in a really strong position to start capitalizing on this they right are now. they're doing it well and, I, and that brings me to my don't if you like or my example of things gone badly which is bad data so yeah. um, it, it, I, I've seen examples where maybe firms have bought other firms that haven't looked after data quite as well as them. They've got incomplete records, poor policy numbers, data feeds mm -hmm. therefore aren't working. Um, and they expose that data before it's been cleaned up to an end client, then they can be in a world of, world of pain. So um, for me, one of the lessons is make sure the data that you're prepared to expose and switch off the data you're not ready to, to, to expose but the data you're prepared to expose make sure it's right it's a tricky one isn't it I mean we help with that because we we do cleanse data as part of the kind of process because we yep. take data from the best source possible and typically the best source possible is going to be the platform or provider so we integrate with the back offices and CRMs and we integrate with all the platforms and providers and we overlay the data so that you know there might be something that comes in from back office but it'll get taken over by the platform because they're going to give us the the best source of data and the back office isn't necessarily up to date and I, and I don't know yet whether and you may you may see more of this in in you know in iris that that is successful but I think for firms to undergo a big data cleansing exercise I've I've rarely come across a firm that successfully completed one of those um in my experience because it's such a big if they if they were going to do it they'd do it do you know what yeah. I mean it wouldn't it still gets into a into a mess and we see that a lot but i think technology can help with that now because we can uh, yeah exactly and i think so so we are seeing a bit more of success on it because um i mean you know advisor office and uh, you were heavily involved in the birth of advisor office and the oh, development of it um <laughs> that has great uh, uh, data cleansing tools in it now as well so we do see yeah. uh, and as does explants we'd see some of those tools being used we also see the platforms being used as well so if you yeah. can get the right um, uh, client details and go off and get the uh, the data from inception back from a 7im for example then you've got great data from from the start i guess I, the examples i've seen where it's probably gone badly is where they've not the, the the data at the start is bad because they've bought in a firm or they've tried to use yeah. uh, legacy data that's not 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 clean and um, that's probably where the issues is and you know in some cases we say don't bring that data across build the data back up um uh, but you know, it's 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 horses for courses. We'll deal with it on a client by client it basis. Is. And, I, and I think the other thing that's you know that's certainly important for us is that is the management of that data on an ongoing basis because you are putting exactly, it in front yeah. of your clients. And actually, a realization that for us as the client facing technology, if there are problems with data, 
it manifests itself in the client portal because that's where it, you know, that's where it, it, it ends up. Um, and we kind of, we very much took a decision quite early on that we wanted to support that process. Having worked in an advice firm myself and having worked in, you know, um, for software and now many info, you know, back in the day we used to have, you know, clients would have problems where they would phone up, this data has gone wrong and one party would say, oh, it's provider and provider would say, no, you need to speak to your back office. And, you know, it would just, you'd end up in an infinite loop stuck between, you know, two parties that, you know, neither one wanted to take responsibility for it I guess my experience is when people have a problem and there's some data that doesn't look right they just want to pick up the phone and speak to someone and get it sorted so so we very much take that one in-house we manage the data for our clients um, when it goes wrong we speak directly with the party that we're integrating with which helps us build relationships with them and understand you know things that can happen and we deal with that for our clients and I think that's important if you're going to put your data in front of your clients, you want to have some peace of mind that the support model behind it is going to help you because you know, Mark, data feeds do go wrong. <laughs> they, they, they can go wrong. Platform yeah. credentials don't work. There's no files. You know, yeah. there's a file zero has been sent across or, or whatever it happens to be. So there are lots of ways that we can deal with yeah. those. These uh, and, and I don't think we should be scared off because, because while they do go wrong, I, I think they go wrong less frequently than they used to. But they, they, um, yeah. uh, I, I think once we can get people to a, a stage where that 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 data uh, is trustworthy then then the benefits are so huge and if you're not confident you you, you maybe you don't show the data for that client or or, or or whatever there are options around this so there are yeah the, the, um, but but yeah I, I just bring it up as something that I think most people if I come across an IFA saying I'm not ready to do it it's often that they're worried about that um, and, yeah. and I think people IFA should know that there are solutions to that because lots of, can, lots of solutions and configuration options that you can switch on and off to make you know to make it work so yeah you're, you're right absolutely good stuff well look I can't believe it we are half hours up already Tessa um, it's oh, been a no. fascinating chat and I never got onto a host of things I wanted to ask you about uh, back office systems from your experience in that so maybe we'll have to do uh, it again uh, but definitely but fascinating, uh, fascinating chat. Thank you for sharing your uh, insights into the world You're of the cloud portal. You're very welcome. And thank you for having me on your podcast. And uh, for the listeners, uh, I will be back in two weeks' time. So join us again then for more Loose Change. Thanks a lot. <laughs>